Some podcasts inspire their listeners. Some podcasts address important current events. Some podcasts make the world a better place. The Fish Golf Broadcast does the opposite. So buckle up for half an hour of wasted time. On this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast, I got to sit down with the delightful Raven Klein. Raven, you're the best Raven in disc golf. Is that true? That is a fact. Yeah, it's actually been proven. Okay. Um, And who are your main contenders at this point? Uh, For the Raven contest? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Raven Newsom Uh and then Sarah Holcomb's dog. Never heard of either of them. So therefore, (laughs) let's assume you're the best and only. Great. Great. Yeah. Um, You're a relatively recent convert to disc golf, yes? True. Yes. And you started playing in 2020 what? Uh, April of 2020. Okay. <laughs> uh, seems like a lot of people started at that point. Oh, yeah. And Classic COVID golfer. Here you are less than three years later on tour. Yes, for the second year. That's so <laughs> sick. Um, it's What about you or your personality got you jumping in like so quickly to a very high competitive level? I'm not really good at having hobbies. Um <laughs> I get too into them too fast, and I don't like to be bad at things. So when my friend pulled me in and said, we disc golf now, I said, you know, what is that? And then he showed me, and I was like, oh, okay. And I was, I've always had an athletic background. Mm-hmm. So I picked it up at a higher level than someone who might just start if they've never done anything. Yeah. And I didn't think it was good enough. So then I just started training and doing field work and putting, and now I'm here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, What kind of athletic background? Uh, I started playing, I mean, I guess technically I did gymnastics when I was a tot, but I don't really remember that. And then I played soccer for about 10 years. Certain injuries and political things in the school kind of got me out of soccer. (laughs) And then I started playing volleyball, played volleyball through high school and college at uh, D3 level in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. and then continued to play competitive adult volleyball through until COVID. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, you do a little bit of that in the off season as well? I do. If I can, I try not to do it before like a month of going back on tour, just on the off chance that something bad happens. It's Um, it's a terrifying prospect, right? Like, yeah. If, if anything happens, like this is my livelihood. How do I, how do I like hustle this and teach lessons if I have to compensate for not playing? And I I miss volleyball a lot and I love it, but I've had a couple people in my life be like, Hey, that's great. Go and play. But just remember like how mad are you going to be at yourself if you get hurt because you went to play a volleyball tournament and I was like yeah (laughs) well cool um so now your job is professional disc golfer but that's not the only job you've had obviously as an adult yes I (laughs) I've done a lot of different things I kind of have a who's who of a resume and I've been I've worked in retail. I've been a barista. I never drank coffee before I was a barista, so that was an interesting job for me. I've been what, a hostess. What was the hardest drink to learn to make? It's like coffee drinkers are super particular. They're really and picky. I think it's not that it was hard. I think it just got really annoying because, like, the six most common drinks are all the same drink with a different amount of foam <laughs> or coffee or, you know, you can have a a wet cappuccino and that's just a latte. And if you have a dry latte, that's a cappuccino. But people are very specific about what they want. And like a miel is a latte, but you use honey and cinnamon 
and but it's all the same drink. <laughs> so um, do you have any messages on behalf of baristas everywhere about like what to order when there is a line or isn't a line? Oh my gosh. I mean, just know what you want for sure. Yeah. But if there's a huge line, take what it, don't even ask for a type of milk unless you have like an allergy or something like that. <laughs> but if you're just up there and they go, is this milk okay? Even if you didn't hear them, just say yes. <laughs> say that it's fine and move on. Try and keep your order to like three or less specifications. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tips? For baristas? Yeah. Oh. Or do you mean like the money or do you mean like a suggestion? <laughs> uh, you can offer both, but like what's standard? Like I used to, I used to hear like a dollar a drink is standard for a bartender or something. Yeah, I think that's really nice. I, I, I didn't work in like a Starbucks or one of those high, you know, really popular places. I yeah. was in kind of that like hometown, uh, like connected to a building where we had 80 year old regulars kind of deal. <laughs> a lot of jeans, male or female, just... Everyone was named Jean, probably. Oh, oh, I see. Not I, like I assume the not the pants. <laughs> Just like putting on my my jeans to go down to the coffee shop. Nope, her name was Jean. His name was Jean. It was just if and, you didn't know their name, right? And uh, it's probably Jean. You're from what state? I'm from Minnesota. Can you please say Jean with like a very thick Minnesota accent? Oh, I don't know if I can. Uh, I would. I think I would just say Jean. I've never had a thick Minnesota accent. My parents are from uh, the Bronx. Ah, okay. And I was born in Connecticut. Okay. So well, even though I grew up in the Midwest, my house didn't have a Midwest <laughs> accent. So I don't fit in in either place because I also don't have a New York accent. Gotcha. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people who have very neutral accents because, like, you know, the standard American newscaster. Exactly. I don't quite have a newscaster <laughs> voice, but my my voice has dropped because I damaged my vocal cords a couple years back. Ah. So... Now were, I sound like this. Were you too excited about something? I did a lot of yelling in collegiate volleyball, ah, and <laughs> my vocal cords like rubbed together improperly, and huh. I did it too much. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> curious injury. Yes. Uh, what, what's another job you've had? Um, I dropped all of my jobs uh, after seeing a flyer at my climbing gym, and I did a year in the Conservation Corps. So they technically tell you not to call it a job, because it was a service term. Okay, service term. Yeah, because you're doing service. But it was basically like free labor for whoever hired us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Service term, not job, is a real workaround to having to provide you benefits and insurance. Exactly. And and I do like to, I mean, I like to think that everyone should do at least a year of their life doing some type of service Mm -hmm. and like giving back to whether it be environmental or schools or whatever it is. Uh, My uncle believed that and kind of always stuck with me. Um, but they do give you like a stipend for schooling. So I was able to put, you know, several thousand dollars toward my school loans and stuff like that. Okay. And what kind of tasks were you doing while in that conservation corps? Um, A lot of invasive species removal. So Mm -hmm. like in Minnesota, there's a ton of buckthorn. So that became like our number one. Um, I learned how to fell trees. I actually became like a level two sawyer. Uh, so working chainsaws. Are your services available to course designers? They are. Yeah. If anyone needs someone who is not only comfortable, but good with a chainsaw <laughs> and likes it. For someone who loves trees as much as I do, there's something about dropping a tree. It's pretty exciting. That like, is oddly compelling. Sanctioned um, destruction. Yeah. And I, I mean, in the, in the Conservation Corps, we only felled trees that were 
either invasive to the area or dead or stuff like that. Like so it wasn't trees around campgrounds yeah. or something. A lot of people don't know that like cedars in Minnesota mm-hmm. tend to be an invasive species because they'll take over the land and then the native species can't actually grow there. So there might, uh, you know, if they're supposed to be like a natural savanna land, it might turn into a cedar forest if too many trees are left unkept. That's wild. So yeah. like, is this something that you, you know, kind of can't get out of your head, can't unsee when you're driving around the country? Sometimes, yeah. There are home? things that I, I just, I look at nature differently because I always, I've always loved nature. I've always felt more home uh-huh. um, outside, which is why van life is wonderful. <laughs> but I didn't necessarily know what I was looking at. And so it's really, it's a total new lens for me to travel with. And I had a I was actually a tree inspector. That was one of the things. We had like a class we had to take. So you could go into an area where like if trees were dying and maybe they had a disease or something, mm-hmm. we could have technically been called in and I had like a badge, like a tree inspector <laughs> badge, but that that expired and I didn't I didn't renew it, unfortunately. I I like to think of you like, you know, being a wayward detective. Like <laughs> yeah. That would show, be showing up with your tree inspector badge. Yeah. It was also, I mean, not that I ever used it for this, but someone told us a story where they were like on private property once and someone called and they were like, no, it's okay. I'm a tree inspector. And they just left. They left them alone. (laughs) It's like, get out of jail free badge. Um, I used to be sponsored by Innova. And at that time they were trying to make their like kind of underground team, the Innova Air Force. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Maybe not the underground, but like they had a lot of Innova Air Force branded gear. Yeah. And occasionally I would get offered like a discount places for like military. Like, oh, cause it oh, was air force. Oh, I'm so, I'm very sorry. And thank you. But like, I'm just a disc golfer. I'm just, this is not what you think <laughs> just it a is. Tree inspector. Yeah. So that was one of the things I did. And then I got, a, I can't remember the name of it, but a certain level of class for driving because I had to drive, um, like over a ton okay. like with the truck. And then when we dragged like trailers with mulch. Yeah. And so I was the only one in my crew who could drive it because I took the medical exam and passed the driving <laughs> test. <laughs> so, yeah, we did like um, rain rain gardens, yeah, neat. which are fantastic and very difficult sometimes, but fun to make. Yeah. So um, that's something I'm familiar with because of my background in stormwater engineering. But there like, we go. Can Can you tell listeners about like what's the purpose of rain gardens how do you make them like what like they're viable on private property they are at a very small scale um honestly it's been it's been a few years so i feel like all of my details are a little little rough but with a rain garden you'll usually put it at the bottom of like a slope for your yard Mm -hmm. and instead of having an area that maybe gets flooded or has to go through the drain the rain garden you put in certain plants with like thicker root systems that will filter your rain before it goes like into a sewer or into the ground and one they're usually pretty you can there's a lot of flowers and different things you can put in there uh, like dogwood plants and depending on your area I suppose that will filter your rainwater and not leave you with like these muddy puddles at the bottom yeah, and it, just it, helps like the city you're in because sure. you catch all this rainwater and filter it before it goes into like the sewers or to a treatment plant. Yeah. And like kind of the hazard of development is that rooftops and driveways and whatever else, like you're kind of disconnecting the natural infiltration of rainwater into groundwater mm-hmm. and a rain garden or 
other device like that allows better infiltration by replacing the existing soil with a fast filter media. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the hardest part when creating one is usually once you've had your area and you decide the size, making sure that you really get it level. Yeah. Um, and so we were out there with levels and measuring tapes and making sure that we had the right depth. Um, I got to create a couple like rock swells, certain things to filter down from like the sides of houses. Some people, they would have it go from their gutter down through like a little rock canal into their rain garden, mm -hmm. as well as just filtering from, you know, their yard. That sounds like a really rewarding set of tasks because like at the end of every day you see the result of what you're doing it was very cool we usually would spend like a week at a certain site so when we did rain gardens you might get two to three done in a week depending on how difficult it was yeah um and using like sod cutters to <laughs> go through people's grass and that was fun but exhausting um, it's probably in the best shape of my life during that year in oh, the conservation yeah. corps just like throwing tree trunks and lifting sod and <laughs> Yeah, like that that's really cool. And I guess with disc golf you see progress, but it's often like kind of slower, more halting. Yes. Um, like you plateau and then all of a sudden you're better at a skill. Yeah, I think something that's really helpful when it comes to disc golf is if you have someone that you played with and maybe you haven't been on a card with them for like a year and if you're one of the new this happened to me. Um I played with someone in like before I toured, I played like four elite series just to see if I could. Yeah. And I played with someone on the card and a year later when I was on the tour, someone was on my card and they were the ones who pointed it out. They're like, your game is totally different from the last time I saw you. <laughs> and to me, I was like, yeah, I'm better, but I don't, it doesn't feel like an exponential growth or anything. Right. And then having your peers just be like, Hey, I can see a difference. I can see that you've been working on it and stuff like that. And I try not to be motivated by other people's, like opinions of my game, but it's very nice when you're learning to have somebody else be like, you're better than you were. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's like the most improved award being the used, used suck award, but yeah, like, exactly. At the same time, it's but so, also we see it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so affirming to have competitors, even at the tour level who are, who are all about like, yeah, go improve. Yeah. And they're supportive. Like, yes, we're competing against each other, but I've had someone mention that to me and I was like, there's, few things cooler than getting to see someone shred. Like if someone on my card had the hot round and I'm like, I got to watch it <laughs> and they were incredible. <laughs> like nothing they did affected my shots. So it's like an easy sport to actually cheer for other people. Yeah, for sure. I'm, that's awesome that you embrace that kind of mentality. I think you have to, <laughs> I think if you don't, it could be a really hard uh, sport for you. <laughs> for sure. I'm Nate Perkins, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broadcast while I condition my hair. I'm James Conrad, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broadcast while I'm taking a really long run up. If you like where this show is headed, stick around for part two. We'll never barrage you with 11 minutes of droning external ads to start the show. So please support the Fish Golf Broadcast by visiting discgolfbra.com for hats and other apparel. Fish stamp discs are available at fishdiscgolf.com and daddydiscgolf.com. 
and you can save 10% on UpperParkDiscGolf.com with the code ANDREW10 on backpacks and other items. And now, more lies and outrageous claims from our guest, met with calm reason by Fish. So Raven, you haven't been touring for very long, but I think you've probably discovered how essential it is to have side quests in between tournaments. Definitely. Uh, yeah. What what are you into when you're not playing or practicing for frisball? So normally I'll, I'll get into like game nights with some people. It's good to find a group. Um, I'm not into like the card building or those kind of things yep. or like Catan. And not that I don't think I could be, but I haven't learned how to play it yet. Uh, but for me, my biggest side quest this year is collecting national parks. Cool. Yes. Uh, how are you going about scouting those? Like, what's the plan? Uh, first step of the plan was map out all the tournaments. <laughs> Second step of the plan was figuring out which were the closest to the route as far as could it be a day trip, things like that, um, and then trying to time them out with forced breaks from tournaments. Yeah, sure. Uh, something I learned last year very quickly is that you can really burn yourself out here. I think people look at the positive side of the tour and like, oh, what you're doing is so fun. That's so cool. You know, what else do you do? And I'm like, I think you think we have a lot more time than we do. I was like, we are disc golfing like six days a week if you give yourself a rest day, if you're not driving 14 hours on that rest day. Right. Um, so forcing myself to take a couple weekends here and there and then trying to maximize my route from tournament to tournament. Okay. So uh, early part of the season, we've played Las Vegas, and now we're in Texas. You played the Memorial in between? Is I did. Right? Yeah, I went back to Arizona. So uh, Arizona, Utah, there's a bunch of national parks there. You hit any of them this year? Um, so I actually went and did Joshua Tree in Southern California uh, before Vegas. Sick. I went to Arizona for a couple weeks to do some field work because Minnesota isn't <laughs> as friendly for field work unless you want to search for your discs every time. That Saying not as friendly as Arizona feels like the understatement of the year <laughs> thus far. Everyone hates on Minnesota, and or they think it's cold all the time, and it's only cold half the year. Well, what about the other part? It's buggy then, right? Yeah, but it's beautiful. Minnesota is gorgeous, especially if you get to go northern, like up in the state, in the northern part of the state. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. If anyone can go there during the fall, do it. Just do it. Go to the North Shore. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's my plug. <laughs> we'll, we'll have you back on, you know, late summer so that people who are planning that trip can get a perfectly curated experience. Oh, I'll work on I'll start working on it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, so Joshua Tree, what's the rating? Oh, man. Joshua Tree, honestly, is close to a four out of five. Okay. I would say I tend not to like the desert ones as much because my brain just loves mountains. I love the ocean, stuff like that. But Joshua Tree really surprised me. Because I thought it was going to be something like a two and a half. And I was just going to go to make sure that I went. But the park is fascinating because it has these pockets of vegetation where you're driving. There doesn't seem to be a lot. You hit this imaginary line and then you have a mile of just the same plant. And once you hit the end of that <laughs> mile, that plant is gone. Gone. And it's crazy because they're these teddy bear choyas, which look like these fuzzy cactuses. They're still prickly, but they look fuzzy. <laughs> um, they're beautiful, but then they disappear, and you might only see one or two scattered around. And then if you enter through the south part of the park, there's a couple Joshua trees, and you're like, oh, I, I think that's a Joshua tree. And then if you go toward the town of Joshua Tree, yeah. there's like several miles where it's just the only thing you can see. 
and it's beautiful. And there's some really pretty rock structures that you can climb also. Yeah, for sure. Super big climbers park and like uh, yeah. boulders far bigger than the your The boulders van. are huge. <laughs> I sometimes will just sit and I look at this giant boulder and I'm it, like, how? how? Why is it there? And why is it so round? <laughs> just in the middle of the desert. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so what else have you hit so far? So I, that's the only, no, I went to Red Rock, which has it's not national not a national park, park but it is a national conservation area mm-hmm. um and i'm collecting patches from all these places i have a little fabric swatch on my van excellent so i'm collecting my patches um but that those are the only ones i've been to so far but i'm doing a stretch uh i have a best friend's wedding to go to after the otb okay. tournament and then my next tournament isn't until portland so i have a couple about weeks, right? 12 days and I'm going from Phoenix to Grand Canyon, yep. and then to Zion, and then to Bryce, and then to Crater Lake, and then up to Portland. All of those sound spectacular. Yeah. So I'm just getting all my campsites settled in, uh, and I'll hit all four of those on the way to Portland. And then after Portland, I'll go to Yellowstone before I head back to Minnesota to play the Majestic. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you been to Crater Lake before? I was going to go, and then there was a snowstorm, <laughs> so I have not been to Crater Lake yet. Um, are you going to swim? I want to, yeah. That's it's my plan. totally worth it, but... The freezing? Oh, it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's so deep and, like, <laughs> such a slow-moving current that, mm-hmm. like, even on a hot, hot summer day, it might be a couple inches at the top that are, like, relatively warm, and then you get down to feet level when you're, <laughs> when you're, when you're in there, and it's like, is this worth it? Like... Always. It's always worth it. Always worth it. Anyone who asks me, is it worth it to go in the cold water? I say yes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like hitting national parks is very much a for the experience kind of side quest. It is. Yeah. Um, I love it. Any other things you're particularly looking forward to this year? Like it's easy to start in, you know, February and March with a lot of enthusiasm and then by September be, oh my God, I just want this season to be (laughs) over. Yeah, that's a very real feeling. I had someone ask me about a November tournament, and I was just like pretty preemptive. I'm like, you know, I think I'm just going to go home. Uh, (laughs) Um, Thank you for the invite, but I have a feeling I'm going to be tired (laughs) by the time I get there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's really important to make sure that you're, I don't know, I get homesick a little bit. It's I have like two parts of my brain because I love being at home. I love seeing family. I love getting to see my cats and dog and stuff like that. But when I'm on the road, I love being on the road. So if I have these moments of like silence, sometimes I'm like, oh, wow, I really wish I was home right now. (laughs) But then when I'm home, I can't wait to get to the next tournament. And it's just this constant back and forth of like your hometown family and friends and then the family and friends that you've created on the road. Yeah, it's it's I was talking with Chandler Fry the other day about how essential it is to have like that kind of homey group. Yeah. And not a click. Like we get along with basically everybody out here. Yeah. It's it's rare that you find people actually avoid somebody (laughs) else. It happens because there's humans out here, but it's rare. Um, So what about like the group of folks that you're hanging out with right now Mm -hmm. like becomes a family for you? Yeah, it really does. Um, It's interesting because everyone just kind of has that camaraderie feeling of being on the road. And very often, someone will just, like, offer you a sandwich. And you're just like, I'd love a sandwich. (laughs) And then the next time you're making a sandwich, you're just like, hey, does anybody want a sandwich? And even though we're, like, we're not millionaires, we're out here, you know, saving every receipt, making sure (laughs) that we can do everything. But no one ever hesitates to, like, 
share. And I think that that's something, I don't know, not everyone understands and everyone on the road seems to. Like it's a, I don't know, it's, it's family. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's really hard cool. to describe it, but it's a feeling. Um, do you feel like that same kinship when you go back at home or back home to uh, the Minnesota disc golf community? So I do. I think the Minnesota disc golf community is amazing. Uh, it's one of the reasons I was able to love the sport so much. Um, I've gone to certain other cities that I will not name that talk about how great their community is. And I did not experience that. And I feel like to really say that our community is great, you have to know that even your bad bugs are going to be okay <laughs> if someone new interacts with them. And I would say that Minnesota is amazing. Uh, the women's group has really taken flight in the last like year and a half. It was after I left, but I like to feel like I was a part of it being yeah. like, hey, I didn't play disc golf. Now I do. Now I'm on the tour. And I've had a couple women tell me that it was something that they saw and made them want to do it also. Like an inspirational um, Like an inspirational thing? kind of thing, which was weird for me at first. The first time someone asked me to sign their disc, I said, why? Like I, <laughs> like I chuckled and I was like, why? And they kind of looked at me funny and I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that in like anything towards you. I was like, I'm just not used to that. Um, but yeah, they're amazing. They come out in full force. They're so excited. Like when I come home and... I'm very supported from Minnesota on just like all sides of the spectrum. Shops that are there, TDs, players, e families of players. It's it's really nice to go home. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I'm sure that makes the the swing of is it Preserve Des Moines Pres I'm sorry, uh, Majestic Des Moines Preserve. So it goes down to Kansas. Okay. So it's for me Majestic and then DDO Des Moines Preserve. Gotcha. And then everyone else leaves for Europe. And I'm probably going to go over to Wisconsin and play Silver Cup. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. And then back to Minnesota um, for so a week of rest. <laughs> Minnesota is how good? Is for what? Everything. It's like, so just, good. Just in general. It's so <laughs> good. Okay. Uh, Wisconsin is? Wisconsin's fine. Fine. Yeah. Great cheese. <laughs> yeah. Great uh, cheese. <laughs> so you're on record as fine a very flat i went to fine. school in wisconsin i actually i mean i feel like there's just something in a minnesota in a I'm trying to see if i can say this a minnesotan's brain that makes wisconsin like a you know a bad place but it's yeah. not i like it there's some beautiful parks there uh willow river has a great waterfall and a really good climbing spot mm -hmm. um it's a beautiful state but you know Cheeseheads. I, I think they're still <laughs> like there always is that little border war, whether it's based on oh, yeah. college football or professional sports or just like, you know, your your weird uncle who lives in the other state. Yeah. And I forget because I'm not a Packers fan because the Packers rival is what is it? The Bears? Uh, is that like their actual one? The Bears or the Vikings? Probably? Well, see, that's the thing. I feel like all Vikings fans hate the Packers, but the Packers are kind of like, you're not we don't really, the, yeah. you're not our rival. <laughs> it's like a three way. But. You know, the Vikings are just extra. They're there. <laughs> and um, I've, I'm given to understand that you like sports. But, Love sports. But you don't know anything about Nothing. sports. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know the rules, and I love to watch sports. But if you ask me a question about statistics or the names of players or even positions, depending on the sport, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I want to watch. I want to pick a team to root for. And I want someone to do something amazing 
Like I'm like that little kid from The Incredibles. who's just like, that was amazing. That's me. <laughs> I'll just watch. And I love sports. And I love what sports can do for people. I don't have room in my brain for statistics or like, oh, back in 1989, they had the this, whatever. I'm yeah. like, I don't know. Um, well, I, I guess in some level, it's nice not to have like an ingrained complex about, you know, a particular matchup or whatever. Does mm-hmm. that extend to uh, does that extend to disc golf? Like, do you break statistics down? Do you know other players? Do you hunt through results? So I've started to do that just out of like curiosity and seeing how people approach the game. Sure. Um, but after I look at the statistic, it's gone. I don't remember. <laughs> like I'll look at it and I'll try and learn from it in that moment. And I'll look at my own statistics, like because I'll I'll make certain goals that. I can actually see as far as like, oh, did I improve my C1 putting? Yeah. That kind of stuff. But most of my goals tend to be like feeling based mm-hmm. um, or things like that. Cool. Yeah. Well, Raven, thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited. Thank you for to, having me. Yeah. I'm very excited to uh, see how your year develops with, uh, you know, a full year of touring under your belt. Yes. Um, I'm excited to return to courses instead of learning a new one every week. It's such a difference. Like, Although this one's new and so will Austin. Okay. But <laughs> well, it, it's kind of like you go there with an idea already of what you're going to throw. Like you only have to solve six problems instead of 18. Instead of 18. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you enjoyed the Fish Golf broadcast, you can find me, Andrew Fish, on Twitter and Instagram at fish58320. And if you hated the show and have nothing but negative things to say, Raven, where can people find you? Oh, yeah, of course. You can find me on Instagram at rkline55. I think I have a Twitter, but I haven't used it. So it would be the same name, but don't go there. Um, yeah, Instagram is my main, <laughs> my main thing. And any sponsors, places people can support you? Yeah, um, I have been collecting a couple sponsors as well as national parks, and <laughs> my main sponsor is Dynamic Dis. They kind of took a chance on me early, and it's been great working with them. And then I also have Throw Pink, Disc Golf Bruh, of course, Treasures of the Forest, which makes amazing minis, and he's uh, from Wisconsin. And then I also have Rat Pack Disc Golf out of Minnesota, and another round disc golf. There you go. Um, any merch, discs, etc. Yes, I'll be coming out with a couple discs through DD this year, and so you'll be able to find those on the site probably in a couple months. And then another round disc golf sells some of my hand-drawn stamps that I have. I create all my own stamps, so they've got some of theirs online. And with that, thank you to the undisputed champion of Ravens and disc golf. <laughs> That's all for this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast. But be sure to check out previous episodes and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Check out Fish Golf Broadcast hats and other apparel at discgolfbra.com and badger your friends until they listen too. Join us next time as I goad yet another guest into starting a fight with another touring player, campsite host, or toll booth attendant on the Fish Golf Broadcast. Thank you.